0: Sentire media. Hello everyone. You're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 108. Italians against Stairs. 1333
1: to 1339.
0: Before we start, I would like to address a review in which the reviewer wished I would be a bit more tolerant towards minorities. Now, I'm not quite sure what the specific reference was there, I was thinking maybe the silly accents in the sketches, which are so bad they can be an insult in themselves, I suppose. But if I have in any way offended any kind of minority, I sincerely apologize. I do assure you that I've spent more than half of my life now working proudly for Amnesty International and have worked on campaigns in defense of all kinds of minorities, be they ethnic, religious, sexual identity, gender identity, including some minorities that I didn't even know existed before working on their rights. So once again apologies for any offences and I do assure you that the respect for all human rights are a fundamental value of my own and my family. Having said that, a quick word from our sponsor before we start. Today's episode is brought to you by Fanatics. Fanatics is the world's largest collection of official fan gear from all leagues, teams and players you love. If you enjoy our show and are looking to buy a new jersey, sweatshirt or hat, you can support us by going to podgo.co slash fanatics and getting 25% off your next order. That's podgo.co slash fanatics. Fanatics. Officially licensed everything. In the last episode, we spoke about the arrival in Italy of an unexpected king, John of Bohemia, and how many of the minor northern cities of Italy had flocked to his banner, much to the confusion and dismay of the four major Italian players, that is, Venice, Milan, Florence and Naples, as well as the papacy and France. Thanks also to the diplomatic manoeuvres of King John, the situation managed to stay under his control for a couple of years. But then, inevitably, it all fell apart under his nose, and Milan, Florence, Ferrara, Mantua, and especially the Della Scala of Verona, swooped in and divided up the cities that had pledged allegiance to the unexpected king. Now, among these players, there was one in particular who were really getting too big for their trousers, and they were the Della Scala, meaning stairs or ladder of Verona. We mentioned at the end of the last episode that with the death of Can Grande Della Scala in 1329, everyone had hoped that Verona would be a little less aggressive and peaceful and more cuddly, but that was not at all the case. Indeed, His son, Mastino, meaning Mastiff, would carry on his determined expansion strategy. Now, that was alright for the other big players, as long as he was picking on the little guys, just around his city. Everybody was doing that. The problems really started for Mastino, when he started to poke the big sleeping bears. His funny old escapades would include trying to take Mantova from the Gonzaga family, taking Brescia and Parma, trying to poison Azzone Visconti. He also really got on the nerves of the Republic of Venice by starting to cut off their access to internal trade routes and putting tariffs on Venetian goods as well as trying to move in on their monopoly on salt. Mastino even went so far as to put a whopping great Game of Thrones style chain on the river Po near the town of Ostiglia, which meant that the Venetian ships could not make their way up along the river towards the north. The tipping point came when he occupied the city of Lucca. This was the city that Florentines had had their eyes on for ages and ages, in their attempt to expand their influence to all of Tuscany. At this point, Florence reached out to Venice and that was how the Lega Anti Scaligera, the Anti della Scala League, was born. The first idea was to attack Mastino della Scala from the south, which was Florence's job, and from the northeast, which was Venice's. First off, The Florentines started with some anti-della Scala propaganda, saying that Mastino was so ambitious that he had had a golden crown encrusted with precious jewels made so that he could place it on his head once he had become king of Italy. To lead the expedition, they chose Another who would have a grudge against the Della Scala, and that was one of the De Rossi family of Parma, Pietro. Parma had recently been taken by the Lord of Verona. De Rossi received his charge on a ceremony on the 10th of October 1336 in St. Mark's Cathedral in Venice from the Doge at the time, Francesco D'Andalo. He started off quite well by taking back a contested salt mine in Padova. You will remember that Mastino's assault on Venetian salt monopoly was one of the bones of contention. Now it was time for everyone to hop on board. The Gonzaga of Mantua and the Este of Ferrara offered their mediation, but it seems only so they could get a no from Mastino and then hop on the side of the coalition. Interestingly, we see some foreign members getting involved in the action with Charles of Bohemia, son of the unexpected King John of Bohemia and Charles's brother, John of Corinthia, but you can forget them because that's the only time we'll be mentioning them. Of course, the Visconti of Milan could not pass up this golden opportunity to deal a blow to their main rival in expansion in northern Italy. So, they too joined, but were rather suspicious and sneaky about the whole thing. First of all, they asked to delay hostilities for two months, to give them time to withdraw their troops from Verona, which had been placed there when the two cities had been allied. Evidently, they forgot all about this, because they did not withdraw said troops. Azzone Visconti, the Lord of Milan, then insisted that command be passed to his uncle, Lucchino. He was put in charge of the Allied army, and then he took said army and started and made a move to march directly on Verona itself. But on the way, he started ranting about a plot to kill him, so he packed everything in and went away. In the end, Although there was no great pitched battle, Mastino did come out, bruised and battered enough to sue for peace in 1339. Interestingly, he did actually get to keep Lucca, which had been the spark that had kicked off the whole thing. But Florence did gain control of many castles around the city, so it was just a question of time. The end result for the Della Scala of Verona was that if Mastino actually did have a golden crown made for when he would be crowned king of Italy, he would now have to put that crown away for good. The rising star of the Della Scala had set. The way was now paved for Milan. Having said this, perhaps the end result of the Lega Antiscaligera had most benefited the Republic of Venice. They took the city of Padua, which they handed over to the control of the Dacarrara family, who had served them well during the events of the League, and they also took five other cities, including Treviso, under their direct control. This meant that for the first time, Venice had a land empire in their own backyard, and wouldn't have to manage things far away over in Constantinople, although they did still have a lot of influence over in the Orient. Having this backyard land empire meant that they not only had guaranteed access to internal trade routes, but also farmable land from which they could feed their bustling city. For the moment, the result was all good news for Venice the headaches of managing a land empire in northern Italy would come later. On the seas, their huge fleet of 230 ships dominated the Mediterranean, but when Edward III, King of England, asked to rent it, Venice refused. There was a greater threat on the horizon, the Turks. This threat also brought Venice closer to their old rival, Genoa, in this period. This external situation coincided with a period of internal peace and tranquillity. The ruling oligarchy, represented particularly by the most powerful organ of government, the Major Consiglio, the Greater Council, had managed to consolidate itself very comfortably, thank you very much, with the Doge becoming more of a figurehead, but also still holding on to some powers the responsibility of the Maggior Consiglio was state security, but, in their view, state security extended to everything. For the new situation, Venice got a new Doge. Indeed, Francesco D'Andalo died in 1339 and was replaced by Bartolomeo Gradenigo. Since things were indeed going quite well for Venice, this seemed like a good time to celebrate, so in 1341, extension building started on the Palazzo Ducale, the Doge's Palace. It took 84 years, but by the time it was finished, they had the building that you can see either coming away from the Grand Canal towards the Lido, or vice versa. It was completed just in time for the Renaissance to be in full swing. As well as Venice, with the defeat of the Della Scala, as we said, the Visconti of Milan could also do a little consolidating. That is, after Mastino tried to get his revenge, and Milan went very close to a change in regime, sort of. You see, in a family with so much power like the Visconti, there was bound to be someone who was unhappy. In the past, it had been Marco Visconti, the talented military leader who was able to fight off the anti-Milanese crusade of Pope John the Twenty-Second, Now, the unhappy black sheep of the family was a man by the name of Loderizio, and he was hanging around in Mastino's Verona. When Mastino came back from his escapades, before letting his mercenary army head off, he decided to lend it to Loderizio, who promptly took it and marched on an undefended Milan. However, as in the best of films, Luchino Visconti arrived just in time to see off the threat and Loderizio was captured. The same year of the attempted coup, the same year they had made peace with Verona, and the same year that Venice lost their Doge, 1339, Milan also lost Azzone, who died on the 6th of August. He had been the man who had increased the power of Milan and fought off the deadly threat of the papal crusade against them. Before dying, he managed to celebrate this achievement by having a coin made with a cross and his name on one side and the figure of Saint Ambrosius, the patron of Milan, holding a staff with the Visconti snake on it. The day after the death of Azzone, the General Council of Milan elected Giovanni and Lucchino Visconti as General Signori for life. Giovanni was a man of the cloth and would soon be made Archbishop of the city, and in the end it was actually Lucchino who would administer the city and consolidate the hold of the Visconti on Milan, completing the transformation from the Commune to the Signoria in time to reach then the end of the century and for the duchy to arise under Gian Galeazzo Visconti. Sticking with Lucchino for the moment, he had quite a conciliatory approach, with an underlying stick-and-carrot agenda. Those who were willing, opposing factions of all sorts, could come back and would be pardoned as long as they got in line with the new programme in town the single party rule. At the same time, he started a very aggressive campaign to hunt down the political and criminal brigands that hid out in the rural areas. In this way, while everyone in the city got in line with the agenda, the surrounding areas were cleared out and made safer, ready for Milan to continue expansion. Luciano Visconti also reformed the militia. From then on, war would not be an item in the city budget, and the citizens would no longer have to leave their workshops, shops and fields to go to fight. Pretty good deal, right? Unless, of course, you consider the flip side of that, which is that the only men with military training and weapons are those directly controlled by the Visconti themselves. That meant that you didn't have an obligation to fight, but you didn't stand a chance if you wanted to rebel. The same sort of double-edged deal also extended to the other cities that fell under the control of Milan. You could save quite a bit from getting rid of military expenses because you fell under the protection of the Visconti, but if you wanted to rebel against them you had no army to do so. On an economic level he took away from rural lords the right to collect the taxes themselves, and managed to do away with the practice of a once and sometimes twice a year extraordinary tax, and managed to keep the books in balance with the regular taxation. Apparently, he did a pretty good job at running things, because when he died in 1349, he left quite a bit of cash in the city coffers. He wasn't the most popular ruler, but he got things running pretty smoothly. Furthermore, despite the suspicious business of him calling off the initial attack on Verona during the time of the Anti della Scala League due to a presumed assassination attempt on his life, he was one of the saviors of the city when Loderizio Visconti attempted his coup. All in all, a pretty good rep. So, there you have it. To sum up, we saw how Mastino della Scala of Verona continued with his father Can Grande's expansionist policy, taking over neighbouring cities in northern Italy. This started to get on the nerves of some of the bigger players such as Florence, Venice and Milan who ended up forming a coalition against the Della Scala. The coalition won out and in the aftermath, although the Della Scala were not completely done for, their hopes for expansion were, and Milan, Florence and Venice could get back to consolidating their external and internal situations. So now it's time to leave the North for a while and head for warmer climes, it is winter after all. There is a city which has been without a Pope for quite some time now. That city is Rome, and as was often the case and perhaps is till this day, Rome was a mess. Thanks very, very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my lovely, wonderful, marvellous Patreon supporters, starting with the second half of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, and that is Marxist, Leninist, Sicilian, Mike M, Neville, Paradise, Patrizia Cappa, Roberta D, Ron L, Rodney N, the Question Master, Rudy F, Sam, Scott L, Sean M, Shelby, Stephen, and T 5. Thanks also to the tippy-top Maria Montessori and Dante Lighieri level, Paolo, Lisa K, J.W., Andrew M., Brandon S., Maxime, David A., Peter W., Kevin O., David L., and of course, San. And welcome, welcome, welcome aboard to our new supporter, Il Valentino. Very romantic name there. If you want, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com. If you want to say hello, ask a question, or share some deep, dark secret, at the same URL, HistoryofItaly.com. you can click through to our social media and follow us on twitter facebook and on instagram and you can go to our support page and become a patreon supporter and have access to a whole load of extra content or if you so wish also donate on paypal thank you very very much if you decide to do so until next time thanks very much to everyone for listening arrivederci
1: And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com and find out how to submit your show.